Okay, we're live. Um, hey, folks, welcome. Uh, sorry, I'm a few minutes late. I got a nice new mic, but um, it wasn't working, so that's a bit annoying. So back on the back on the AirPods. Uh, welcome to Learning About Learning with Jim, um, episode two, where we're going to discuss competence versus confidence. Uh, my name is Jim. This is a research side project that I've started this year to kind of hold me to account, I suppose, to do some research into learning uh, every week. So on Monday, I ask a question on on LinkedIn, what people want me to research. And then uh, on Friday morning, I do a little live stream sharing what I've, what I've explored. So this week's question came from uh, Johan. And this was a question. Competence is the goal and leads to a productive result. Obviously, we don't want people with an inflated confidence as colleagues or leaders, but aren't we throwing away confidence a bit too easily? Um, and then I, I kind of asked, I asked Johan a bit of a follow-up question, like where did this, where did this come from? Uh, this question, why is it important to you? And he said he'd seen on LinkedIn, quite a lot of chat about people talking about competence being more important than confidence. And I guess for him, confidence is, uh, yeah, also really important. So I thought it was a, an interesting thing to dig into. So I've done a bit of research and we've got some interesting stuff. I'll probably go for for 20 minutes. We'll see. We'll see how we get on. Uh, competent, competence and confidence then. So competence, the ability to do something successfully or efficiently, you know, it's having, having skills um, and being able to apply those skills to, to whatever your task is. And then confidence, a feeling of self-assurance arising from an appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. Um, and... Of course, there's a connection between these two things. Um, you know, it seems instinctive to me that the more competent you are, the more confident you're going to be. Because, I'm oh, sorry about that. Because if you, uh, if you know what you're doing, you're going to uh, feel that self-assurance uh, because you can appreciate your own abilities. But of course, we have people, we've all seen people, we've met people, we've been led by people who... Um, have confidence that definitely doesn't match their competence. Um, so what does the research say about this? And well, in looking into it, the main criticism of confidence seems to come in reference to, uh, to leaders. So overconfident, undercompetent leaders. And um, I think we all, as I've said, we all know some leaders who don't feel, we don't feel are particularly competent. And that overconfidence without the competence to back it up has certainly favoured people uh, over history, uh, which means that you end up in a situation where people are promoted who aren't competent at doing the thing that they need to do to, to lead on it. Um, and it appears that I did find some chats on uh, LinkedIn about this uh, about refocusing on competence 
So uh, got this quote here from Amer. The take home point for leaders, coaches and educators is that there's no real evidence suggesting that high com confidence actually causes competence. So he's talking about the causal link between competence and confidence. It's actually the other way around. Instead of seeking incompetent confidence, we should ask for feedback and work tirelessly on improving our competence in order to achieve long lasting, realistic confidence. Um, so, yeah, I think whilst fairly interesting, Amer there is also promoting his course on, um, on competence as many people are on LinkedIn. So uh, let's look into some, I, I had tried to have a look into some actual kind of academic research as I normally do uh, in this project. So I found a study by uh, someone called Erin O'Mara, who is looking at kind of how, what is the importance of people, people being able to back up their confident claims um what 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 Aaron calls self-promotional claims so uh so Aaron says we found consistent evidence that a self-promotional claim paired with information that substantiates the claim is associated with more favorable interpersonal evaluations compared to when the claim is un unsubstantiated so if you're basically if you're bullshitting um you know, people can see through that a lot of the time. So when you make a self-promotional claim and you can back that up with uh, some evidence, then people are much more likely to be favorable of, of you, whether you're a leader or a, or a speaker or a teacher, someone who needs to be seen to be, um, to know what they're talking about, uh, you know, being able to substantiate that claim does seem to be important. You can't just bullshit your way through to the top. Although, as I'm sure we know, a lot of people do. Um, this is backed up by another researcher or a couple of researchers, Edward Jones and Thane Pittman. They talk about this idea of self-presentation, strategic self-presentation. They're looking at different ways in which we uh, present ourselves to the world and to colleagues and to teams um, to, that are favorable to us. Um, and they talk about how self-promotion is often, like Erin said, it's often verifiable due to the, uh, the, the evidence that we, that we can have concerning our ability. So, uh, you know, I make a claim and it's often quite easy to see if that claim is accurate because you can just see if it's true. Uh, you know, I say I'm an expert in, um, uh, in, I don't know, designing, designing safety systems for nuclear reactors. You give me the job and it's quite clear I'm unable to design that safety system. So, you know, independent evidence, very easy to assess that ability. But, um, one way that, uh, some people kind of get around this is what they call self-handicapping. So a self-handicapper, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, I, I definitely am, a self-handicapper presents their work in a way that it's hard to attribute blame to them, what they call attributionally ambiguous circumstances. So they put themselves in situations where 
they blame the project or they blame the situation or they blame the client instead of taking responsibility themselves. And then in situations where success is kind of guaranteed, they take all the credit and appear to be brilliant and highly competent. So um, slimy, slippery little <laughs> little uh, tactic here that I think many of us do um, kind of unconsciously, probably some of us do it consciously. Um, and because they say Jones and Pittman, most of us would rather be considered as relaxed but brilliant than as plodding overachievers, overachievers. So, you know, to just swoop in and take all that credit when um, when the project goes well, but uh, do your utmost to uh, lay blame elsewhere when something isn't isn't going well. So I think, yeah, and in some interesting, we're getting some interesting kind of depth and tangents here. Uh, the most, whenever you, if you Google competence and comp confidence, the the model, the first model that's going to come up is one of the most famous models uh, around this topic, which is called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I reckon you've all seen. Uh, this is the original, this is the original kind of data plotting from the Dunning-Kruger effect. They were examining people's perceived ability versus their actual ability. So they asked people to uh, estimate how good they'd be at this test, an IQ test, and then they had them actually take an IQ test and plotted those results against each other. So you can see here the, uh, the line at the top is how people expected themselves to perform. And then the line at the bottom, the kind of lighter line is how they actually perform. So what you can see is for those who performed the worst, so people who performed, um, you know, in the, the kind of 10th percentile thought they would be in the 55th percentile. And the people who actually performed the best uh, underestimated their ability. So they thought they would perform around 70. They actually performed around the 90th percentile. So, um, and this is normally displayed as this graph here. Um, so you, if you're a novice, when you know nothing, you're more likely to overestimate your abilities and experts tend to underestimate their abilities. So I think, you know, they say we are, we're all on different, uh, points in this uh, model, depending on what aspect of our lives we're applying it to. So um, when you start to learn a new thing, when you know nothing on the x-axis there, you tend to rise to what they, <laughs> uh, the peak of Mount Stupid very quickly. So uh, you learn, you know, you learn the basics really quickly and you, you think you know what you're talking about. But then quite quickly, as you learn more about the subject, you realize how little you know and enter that valley of despair. And then it's a kind of long, slow climb up uh, the slope of enlightenment to the plateau of, of stability. Um, so again, I think like a, lot, like a lot of models that have sustained uh, through time, it feels quite intuitively, um, quite intuitively right. Like I can think when I, you know, when I when I when I went to university, um, I 
in first year I would I definitely thought I was smarter than I was and then through a couple of um a couple of harsh rounds of feedback from 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 professors and and lecturers I quickly realized that I didn't actually know very much and then it was a long slog and still is to actually um to get to a point where uh, my confidence and my competence are a bit more aligned. Um, now, the Dunning-Kruger effect isn't, it's not kind of veri fully verified factual, um, you know, factual science here. Uh, some studies have verified and replicated the results and others have some concerns with it. Some people think that um, what's at work here is something called the better than average heuristic. So, uh, a heuristic is a mental shortcut that our brains use to, um, you know, speed up the time it takes to make decisions because our brains uh, are designed to conserve energy. So they take mental shortcuts and uh, we call them heuristics. So the better than average heuristic is generally people tend to think they're better than average. So most people tend to think they're better than average. Uh, in a range in a range of things which is obviously impossible because most people can't be better than better than average because it's an average so what might be at work here is that effect where uh you just have lots of people thinking they're better than average and some people actually being better than average and when you when you kind of account for that uh the dunning-kruger effect is isn't actually as pronounced as you think but um i think as I said, it fe it's something that feels instinctively right to us um, in some situations. So I think it's useful to to use it and kick it about and uh, and you know not hold it as gospel. David Dunning kind of digs into uh, the Dunning Kruger effect in uh, in a paper that he's got, which is called "On Being Ignorant of One's Own Ignorance," and he talks about how people conduct their daily lives under the shadow of their own inevitable ignorance and his reason why or one of his reasons why is I think I think kind of related to my point about uh being at university or in a learning in, in a learning situation where you're you are constantly being challenged because gaps in knowledge may go recognized unrecognized in everyday life because people fail to have outside agents hovering over them peppering them with exams that could impolitely expose holes in their knowledge. So one of the, uh, one of the beautiful things about being at university or an institution or, or taking part in a learning experience is hopefully you've constantly got people who are more knowledgeable than you uh, providing feedback, constant feedback, telling you what you don't know. But we, we often don't have that uh, in life or in work. So what we do is kind of, walk around the world um kind of mushing together a hodgepodge of of like knowledge and secondhand information to try and create some kind of understanding of um of uh, of a specific topic and what we're not doing there is uh is you know developing actual knowledge in fact um uh dunning calls this uh uses a term that will be quite funny if you know the other use of the term uh he calls it reach around knowledge um which 
is amusing. Uh, but yeah, he said, reach around knowledge. People take cues from the social situation they're in and their general world knowledge to cobble together enough apparent information to form an impression. Um, I think, think about most people at the start of the pandemic. We instantly, although, you know, almost none of us are experts, we felt like we were experts in our numbers and epidemiology and quickly formed opinions about all sorts of things that, that absolutely we're not experts in. Um, that feels right to me. This reach, although it's a ridiculous name, this reach around knowledge that leads us to thinking we're experts in something um, when actually we're very much not, which leads to kind of this, the second model um, of today, which is uh, another well-known model that you'll see if you Google competence and com confidence. It's called the hierarchy of competence model. And I think as far as I can tell, I dug into it a little bit. It was originally created by a guy called Martin Broadwell um, back in the 60s. And this triangle model um, helps us to think through how, I, I think similar to the Dunning-Kruger, how you kind of progress through competence around a specific topic. So when you begin, you are unconsciously incompetent. So, I mean, it's kind of uh, harks back to uh, Donald Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, and known knowns. Um, so when, when you're starting to learn something, you're unconsciously incompetent. So you don't know what you don't know. You're applying the wrong intuition to the, to the problems. Then as you gain a bit more knowledge or you enter an institution or you have a, a boss or colleague who is able to guide you, you enter conscious incompetence. So you're aware of what you don't know. Um, then as, then as you progress up, you head into conscious competence. So, you know, you know, stuff, you know how to apply it. You're analyzing things correctly. You know what you're doing. And then finally, when you kind of become an expert in, in something, you're, it then becomes so part of you and your understanding that you apply it unconsciously. You're, you're engaging in unconscious competence. Um, what I think is interesting, I mean, of course, there's, there's a danger of focusing on comp confidence over competent, com competence, as, uh, as Johan's question uh, was alluding to. But I think what people are pointing out that this pyramid um, alludes to is that it's hard, potentially, you know, if you follow this model, it's hard to know, maybe impossible to know, whether you're at the top of this pyramid or at the bottom of this pyramid, because both of them are unconscious states. Um, in one, at the top, you are you are truly an expert, and you're applying your expertise unconsciously. But at the bottom, um, you're you don't know, you don't actually know anything. You're incompetent, and you're applying your incompetence uh, unconsciously. So I think that's that that I feel is where people are coming from when they're. Um, kind of calling for more of a focus on competence. It's because they probably see a lot of people around them who uh, are confident in what they're doing, but actually don't really know what they're doing. They're at the bottom of the pyramid and they think they're at the top of the pyramid, which is, uh, which is not, not ideal. Uh, I just got a couple more things and then, and then we'll finish. I know we're almost at 20 minutes. Um, 
There was an interesting blog post from a guy called Jeffrey Ellis who is exploring this. Um, and whilst I think some of his assumptions are a little extreme, um, which he notes actually, uh, he kind of explains quite neatly why we need to watch out for why, when we think our competence is rising with confidence, but actually it's not. So Jeffrey Ellis uh, plots confidence against competence and says that, you know, when your confidence is higher than your competence, you're in the arrogant domain. And then when your uh, competence is higher than your confidence, you're in the humble domain. And what we'd, what we'd want is uh, for our competence and confidence to kind of rise at a 45 degree angle there in the middle, um, middle graphic. But what actually happens, and this is a, a slightly kind of, he's taking a few liberties here. It's not quite what the Dunning-Kruger uh, effect research says, but actually those are kind of negatively correlated. So um, we tend to, as we've discussed, have high confidence when our competence is low and our competence, um, uh, when our competence is high, our confidence is low. I mean, that's not really true. I don't think, um, I think he's just kind of, gone to quite an ex create quite an extreme model there for the sake of discussion because um you know many many people will be confident and competent in the top right there and the dunning-kruger effect doesn't in fact say that when you're competent you when you're highly competent you lack confidence that's more connected to the um in fact no the hierarchy of competence the triangle that doesn't say anything about competence either so ellis here is kind of um i think he's making a bit of an extreme point, but I think one interesting one to consider where for ourselves uh, in terms of our own self-confidence, but also for us as learning designers, teachers, when we're supporting people to develop competences and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and develop confidence. Oh, I, I've actually forgot to say, if anyone has any, any comments on this, you can comment in the, uh, on LinkedIn Live or YouTube Live, and they will come up. So uh, anyone got any comments, drop them in. Any thoughts? And I can pull them up on the screen. So final thought is kind of, you know, what about learning? This is learning about learning. Uh, what about learning when it comes to confidence and competence? I couldn't find much. Um, the paper that was most interesting to me was by... Uh, Marie Norman and Terry Highland, and they explore the role of confidence in lifelong learning. And to be honest, their conclusions were not particularly insightful. I mean, they kind of confirm stuff that I think we probably all know, all of us involved in kind of adult learning, lifelong learning. Um, first, they said group activity and interaction has the potential to enhance confidence and achievement at all levels of learning, um, which sounds uh, sounds fairly reasonable and uncontroversial to me. Of course, some some people are absolutely unconfident in groups as well, and that's something we need to think about. Um, but yeah, that seems fairly reasonable to me. And the second thing they say is, although the individual learner can affect his or her own level of confidence, tutors, peers, mentors, and workplace supervisors can help increase the learner's confidence by providing support, encouragement, and constructive feedback. So again, 
a pretty simple point. Um, us as people who guide and create learning experiences need to support people to learn skills and have the confidence they uh, they need to apply those skills. Um, I think I think kind of pulling it back to the Dunning Kruger effect and the the hierarchy of competence. I think we also need to be brave enough to tell people when their competence is lower than they think it is. Um, especially in, especially in corporate settings where, as we discussed a little bit last week with Nick, um, you know, sometimes we want to please a client. We don't want to be too critical, but, you know, often I'm sure we've all been in situations where people simply don't, simply don't know enough. Uh, they don't know what they need to know. And as learning designers, teachers, trainers, I think we need to be brave enough to tell people when their competence is lower than the confidence they have uh, justifies to, to bring them down to earth a little bit, just like my professors did at university, which um, I really appreciate, which led to me learning so much. You know, they uh, basically pushed me off the edge of that cliff into the, that trough of, 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 of knowing, you know, or oh, let's pull it up again. Uh, yeah, pushed me off that peak when I thought I was, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I actually didn't into that valley of despair. And then were there to provide the support for me to gradually climb up that mountain to, uh, to learn what I needed to learn. That's, that's it for today. Um, so yeah, that's competence versus comp confidence, uh, an interesting topic for sure. And uh, yeah, if you've got any suggestions on what the topic for next week should be, let me know. Drop a note in the comments and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks for watching, folks.